For a whole generation of video game playing kids, this 80s flick represents a special kind of wish fulfillment. A down-on-his-luck kid becomes a video game champ only to find himself recruited to fight in an interplanetary war in another galaxy. Directed by Nick Castle and produced by Gary Abelson, this fan-favorite film has since become a cherished classic, captivating generations of audiences with its thrilling blend of space adventure, cutting-edge special effects for its time, and a heartwarming coming-of-age story. So get ready, Starfighter. You have been recruited by the Star League to defend the frontier against Zur and the Kodan Armada, as Chris Adams and I discuss The Last Starfighter from 1984 on this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Every night, Alex Rogan dreams of going far away. You really are leaving here, aren't you? Tonight, he will go further than he ever dreamed. Welcome to Rylos, my boy. He's one in a million. Alert, we are under attack. But the odds against him are a million to one. Alex Rogan is the last Starfighter. Rated PG. I'm Tim Williams, the mastermind behind the mic at the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Joining me on each epic episode is a guest co-host who's as crazy about 80s flicks as they are about wearing parachute pants and solving Rubik's Cubes. We're diving into nostalgic treasures we saw at the local theater, rented on VHS tapes, or discovered on cable TV. From blockbusters that make you say, I feel the need, the need for speed. To hidden gems that'll have you screaming, They're here. It's a blast to relive these old memories and share our thoughts on what made these movies so special. We reminisce about our first time watch experiences, share our favorite scenes, and even discover fascinating behind the scenes tales about the cast and crew along the way. Haven't hit that subscribe button yet? What are you waiting for? Come on, do it! On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And hey, while you're at it, be a pal and drop us a written review along with a five-star rating to tell us what you think about us. The sportos, the motorheads, geeks, sluts, bloods, wasteoids, dweebies, they all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude. Take a day off and come hang out with us on social media. Just search 80s Flick Flashback on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And don't forget to bookmark 80sflickflashback.com for more gnarly content. Get out of town. I didn't know you did anything creative. Want to crank it all the way up to 11? Become a supporter on buymeacoffee.com for only $5 a month. Do or do not. There is no try. Click the link in our episode show notes, and while you're there, soak up the extra trivia and fun stuff that didn't make it into today's show. Thanks again for tuning in. Now, let's get right into today's episode. Welcome to the party, pal. Well, welcome in, everybody. So glad to have you on this always a good episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Sorry we had to delay this one by a week or so, but I hope it was worth the wait. And I believe it will be because this is one that we've wanted to cover for a while. And I finally found the co-host that I knew loved this movie as much as I did, maybe a little bit more so. But let me introduce him now from Retro Life for You Podcast, Mr. Chris Adams. How you doing, man? I'm doing good, Tim. Thanks for having me back on again. 
Oh, yes. My pleasure. Glad to have you back, my friend. And uh, this is like one of your all time favorite movies, right? It is. Uh, it's 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 a running joke on our podcast. Um, <laughs> I will try to work this in anytime I can, along with a couple of other 80s flicks. But I mean, this one. It always gets brought up in some form. I, we could be talking about something altogether different. I'll be like, you know, just like the last Starfighter. <laughs> you know? Right, right. And bring that up. So it's, it's, it's definitely one of my absolute favorites. I watched it again just this past weekend. That's probably, mm-hmm. I swear, if I was keeping count of it, it'd probably be hitting 50 or 60 times by now. But <laughs> I don't know the true count. I've, I've seen it a lot, though. I really like it. Yeah. If you haven't listened to the Retro Life for You podcast yet, uh, be sure to go and check it out. Uh, Chris has had the awesome pleasure of doing a couple of interviews with the stars. He's done one with just Catherine Mary Stewart, but he's also done one with her and Lance Guest together. So you definitely want to check those out. I'm sure he'll talk about some of the things that they've shared in those interviews, but they're definitely worth uh, listening to. So be sure to check that out. If you love the last starfighter as much as we do, these are must listen to episodes on his podcast. It was a blast too talking to him. I mean, I was really, really happy with that being that it's one of my favorites. And I told him, I said, you know, it's like one of my all time favorites mm-hmm. you know, that you guys were in. And it's such a great, you know, yeah. honor talking to him about it and everything. They had a lot of fun things to say. And oh yeah, we could definitely dive into that later. Yeah. They were great guests. I could tell as well. Like they really, um, enjoyed talking about the movie and enjoyed, you know, just talking. You could tell they had a lot of fun making the movie and still have fond memories of it. So that's always, always good when you're interviewing those kind of things. So absolutely. Well, let's jump right in and uh, go with our standard format. When did you see The Last Starfighter for the very first time? Was this a theater watch for you or home video? It was definitely home video. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that. It was definitely home video. Uh, one of those deals where at my age at that time, you uh, you were lucky, you know, if the parents um, had the money to for the weekend rental, you know, you'd mm-hmm. go and you'd rent the VCR and the cassettes, both right, only, right. if you didn't yeah. own your own VCR. Now, VCRs at the time were really expensive. So Very expensive, yeah. Most people were renting the VCRs and mm-hmm. the tapes themselves. Uh, and even before that, the video disc players, mm-hmm. uh, which was mm-hmm. Another story for another time, really. <laughs> so um, I, I saw it on VHS for sure, though. And after I watched it, it was it had, it had me hooked right. right oh yeah. Bat. Oh yeah. Now, quick question: We'll go further. So, when you rented it, where did you rent it from? Do you remember what kind of store it was that you rented it from? Oh, it was a little small mom and pop type deal. Okay. Um, I I lived in a, a town in Tennessee called Waverly, Tennessee, at the time, and. Mm-hmm. It's not like you had a Blockbuster or a oh, right. rental yeah, or anything yeah. like that then. So it's a little small local mom and pop thing in town. We rented the VCRs and the video, the VHSs. It was, I want to say it was a Winn-Dixie, but it was a grocery store that wasn't too far from our house. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I want to say my dad had to give them a check, like a deposit for like $50, like to rent the 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 machine. And it was huge. Like it came in like a, almost like a suitcase and yes. covered in really heavy and then they only had like one little spinning rack of VHS tapes that you could rent. So it wasn't like this huge selection. It was probably like 20, 25 maybe was the most they would have at one time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think they only had like two or three machines that could rent out. So you had to be there early to get it for the weekend or, you know, it was just, it just wasn't, it hadn't become popular enough where it was that much in demand. But, um, right. but yeah, I, I remember, I vividly remember going there like he said, it was on the weekends. Like we try to go 
on a uh, on a weekend and get it uh get the the VCR and I think you got to keep it for like you know you rented it on Friday I think you got it through Sunday you didn't have to turn it back in until I think this, they might have been the store might have been closed on Sunday back then early 80s yeah. and yeah. uh and then you turn it back in on Monday so you you got you know two movies you'd watch like six times mm-hmm. <laughs> over the weekend it was definitely a weekend rental Mm-hmm. Uh, at the place where I got it from, for sure they were closed on Sunday, so you couldn't take it back till Monday. So yeah, rent it, rent it on Friday for two days. You got three days out of it. Right, right. Well worth yeah. the rental, though. Yeah, yeah. I didn't see this one in the theater either that I can remember. I'm pretty sure this was a video rental. I can't remember. This is one that played on cable, but I know I had seen it. I had seen it several times, but. The most vivid memory I have about this movie was probably like two years. This came in 84, so probably like 86. It had been out, you know, it had already been through the theater and I'd already seen it on video. But like the end of the school year, one, uh, it was like one afternoon, like towards the end of the school year, everybody was like, I think it was like for the fifth and sixth graders, like the upper elementary school, which is when I, where I was at that time in 86. They were like, hey, you're all going to go to the cafeteria this afternoon. They've got a special thing for you. And we're like, we didn't know what it was going to be. Just we get to hang out in the cafeteria all day. And we got in the cafeteria and they had this huge, not, you know, not movie theater size screen, but like a big, a bigger screen than, you know, you would have in the classroom. And uh, they had a for real, real to real projector. And they played the last Starfighter for us that afternoon to watch in, in the cafeteria. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever to like watch a movie that would be in the movie theater in your cafeteria. And it wasn't, you know, they weren't rolling out the little cart with the VCR for you to watch it on like a, you know, <laughs> 15 inch screen back then. So, right. uh, of course the sound was pretty terrible in there, but I had seen it already. And I was really excited. My, my, my friends, I was like, Oh man, the last star for like, what a movie is this? Like, you've never seen this movie. Like I was trying to explain to them how cool it was going to be. And, uh, I loved it just as much watching it, you know, in the, in the school cafeteria as I did as many times as I'd seen it you know, on video before that. I, that does sound like a cool way to see it. I, they did that several thing, uh, that same thing at our school several mm-hmm. times on like exam days or something, but it would yeah. be like not the screen you're talking about, but the actual television they rolled out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. We've done that several if, times. Yeah. If you want to see a good, do you want to get a good look at the screen? If you're truly interested in it, you just scoot closer to the front mm-hmm. to really watch it and enjoy it. But exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Never the last Starfighter. I wasn't that lucky. I mean, yeah. I was like, man, how did they get this movie? You know, but I guess it wasn't as big of a hit, so it probably was a little cheaper to get, I'm sure. And it was a clean PG movie. I mean, there's nothing in it that would be super offensive. I, I think it's pretty, no. pretty tame. Um, so, so uh, how long had you? Probably for you, not very long. But how long had it been since you watched it before rewatching it for the podcast? Oh, not very long at all. Just a couple of months. I actually bought it on Vudu. Um, mm-hmm. They had a sale going on, and that was yeah. one of the movies that was on sale. So I snagged it up pretty quick, and I've watched it that night. I bought it, and I've mm-hmm. seen it. Uh, gosh, I watched it just before we had uh, Lance and Catherine come on the show. I watched it the day before on that to refresh my memory on it <laughs> to make sure I wasn't misquoting things. Right, right. Um, I mean, it's there are some movies I can just watch over and over again and never get mm-hmm. tired of them. This is one mm-hmm. of them, so... There, I probably see it a couple times a year easily. Yeah, yeah. It had been a long time since I'd seen it, and then uh, when I was still in Jacksonville, probably about hmm, maybe ten years ago now, a friend of mine found a copy, like a DVD copy, 
uh, at a Walmart for like really cheap. And he said, man, I'm gonna watch this. Tonight. I was like, oh my gosh, I haven't thought about the last Starfighter in like so long. It's like, I love that movie. And uh, so then I was on the lookout trying to find it. And, you know, I, I would see it. I was like, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. And then same with you. Like I saw it on Voodoo probably four or five years ago. No, it was probably right when I was starting beginning to start the podcast. I'm like, this is what I'm definitely going to cover on the podcast. And it was part of a either bundle, like buy three for $12.99 or whatever. It was like an individual. And uh, I got the Voodoo copy. And so I watched it then, like probably about yeah about three years ago when i watched it and it was still good it was funny like watching some of the effects now on a much you know cleaner you know uh you know hd quality it takes a little bit away from it just a little bit but you know it still for the time was very state-of-the-art and very uh cutting edge as far as like the technology for that it looks really cheesy now but it was super cool uh, back then. But then, of course, I rewatched it uh, last weekend. We were going to record, and then I rewatched it again tonight while about, about uh, two hours before we started, just to make sure it's still fresh in my mind. Yeah, something stands out. You're talking about the the effects and everything. And when I was watching it last weekend, I was watching the scene where he um, he's in the Gunstar and mm-hmm. he he fires what looks like the you know, the missile. Yeah, at yeah. one of the ships. And the, all it looks like the missile does is that it bumps the ship and knocks it kind of sideways off course a little bit, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then it ex- then it explodes. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I thought that was a really. Uh, it's it's obviously not a great special effect when you think about what we see today. Oh yeah, yeah. But yeah. back then, like you said, that was kind of cutting edge stuff they had going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were one of the innovators almost of CGI using CGI exactly. in movies. Exactly. Yeah, it so. wasn't. They weren't using models and things like. Star Wars and you know Star Trek had done previously. They were they wanted it to be like a hundred percent digital effects. Which, once again, looking back, looking at it now, it looks very dated and looks you know mm-hmm. looks pretty rough. Uh, but at the time, we just thought it was so cool to see that, especially because it's based on a video game. So it still kind of had a video game ish, like you know top level video game look to it. Um, with with some of those designs and stuff, so and and the video game looked so cool in that movie. It's, mm-hmm. one, it's one you'd want to go to the arcade and play, but they didn't oh, actually sure. have an arcade version of it out. Uh, they talked about actually making it into an Atari game, yeah, and yeah. it never got finished. Mm-hmm. And they ended up taking what was done at that point and turning it into a different game. And I can't remember what it was called now. Yeah, here's what I have. Atari produced games for its 5200 Super System and 4800 Series home computers as a tie-in with the movie, but they never went past the prototype phase, though some copies did survive. The game was nothing like the arcade machine Alex plays in the movie. The technology did not exist at the time to produce real-time 3D polygonal graphics on a home machine. Rumor has it that Atari produced one prototype last Starfighter arcade machine, but it since has been lost. An early Atari 26 program was revamped into the game released as Solaris. Yeah. Now, yeah. somebody eventually took the game and mm-hmm. made a cabinet for it, just like it looked in the movie, practically. Right. Maybe a, the, the cabinet looked the same, but the game might have looked a little bit different. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was a few years back in Houston, Texas, at a gaming expo, mm-hmm. and they actually had Lance Guest at the gaming expo as one of the guests there. Oh, cool. Based on The, the Last Starfighter. Mm-hmm. And there was a picture of him playing the game, 
Of course, I, I, I remember asking him, I, you know, did you do just as well? You know, when, did you did you play the game really good at that point? Right. He said, he just kind of laughed. He said, I didn't really know what I was doing. Oh yeah, but um, yeah, but it it, it looks kind of cool. I'm looking at a picture of it right now. Mm-hmm. Not too bad. It's, it's just the screen, you know, you see in the movie where it's like you're targeting, mm-hmm. and you would target the incoming ships and everything, just like you did you seen in the movie. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and I'm sure, like, I think he's talking about that. What he was like, you know. He wasn't really playing a game when they were when they were filming it. He was just moving things around, and all mm-hmm. that stuff was added later. So it was not like he would know how to play the game if it even existed because it wasn't a real game. Yeah, right, right. So, but but still cool. It's still a cool moment just to, to have a a shot of him playing, you know, the game, quote unquote, uh, a remade version of the game. And now these messages. Hey everybody, do you ever just sit around with your friends and reminisce about the days and how things used to be when you were a kid or a teenager or maybe even a young adult? The TV shows and the movies that you watched at the time and how things just aren't quite the same today? Well, let me tell you, I've got the place for you. My name is Chris Adams and I'm the host of the podcast Retro Life For You. And here at Retro Life For You, we talk about and discuss movies and TV that is retro. And we are going back from the 80s and the 90s and into the 2000s. Hey, sometimes we might even touch back to the 70s if we're feeling good. If this is for you, make sure you look for us on everywhere that you can find your podcast at. Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, Google, Stitcher, or hosted on Anchor FM. And make sure you follow us on all the major networks and leave us a rating and a review. It really does help. Look forward to hearing from you. Are you a fan of movies and TV shows inspired by comics? Ready for a podcast that dives deep into the thrilling world of adaptations? Well, look no further. Welcome to Moving Panels, the podcast where we discuss movies and TV shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. This is your go-to podcast for all things comics on screen. I'm your host, Laramie Wells, and every Monday we explore the dynamic universe where ink meets action. We break down the classics, reveal hidden gems, and uncover the creative process behind your favorite adaptations. Subscribe to Moving Panels now on your favorite podcast platform and join us on this epic journey through the pages of comics and onto the big screen. Remember, new episodes drop every Monday. Don't miss out. Moving Panels, where every panel has a story and every adaptation is a blockbuster. Subscribe today, and I'll see you on the other side of the page. All right, well, let's jump into story origin and pre-production. Don't have a whole lot to cover here. There wasn't a whole lot out there, but I did find this uh, little bit of information. So the screenwriter, Jonathan R. Butel, worked at an ad agency in the early 80s, and he stumbled upon a kid playing an arcade game in a video arcade and got the inspiration for the story. He envisioned an arcade game that would beam out a signal announcing the chosen one when a high score was reached, sort of like a sword in the stone Excalibur type of idea. According to the DVD commentary, a lot of changes were made to the script of The Last Starfighter to differentiate it from the films of Steven Spielberg and George Lucas, which were, of course, popular at the time. The original plan was to set the movie in the suburbs, but it was later changed to a trailer park to avoid similarities with movies like E.T., Close Encounters, and Poltergeist. Uh, Director Nick Castle had a tough time distinguishing his movie from the works of Spielberg and Lucas, as he knew the comparisons to Star Wars were inevitable. 
He spent a lot of time comparing his film to the works of these directors and then tried his best to make it different. Castle revealed that it was challenging to make a movie that wasn't similar to the works of Spielberg and Lucas as he kept running into moments that had already that they had already captured at every corner. He jokingly said, those guys really know what they're doing. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And it's funny because I think when I watch it, like I don't really get the Spielberg vibes that much. They're every It's there every once in a while, but it's not too heavy. And even the George Lucas, I think, probably not the same like a lot of the space stuff looks a little bit more star trek and battlestar galactica to me or even like buck rogers like unfortunately you know some of those are tv kind of quality effects which this wasn't a huge big budget movie like you know empire strikes back or even you know the star trek movies but i didn't i never really kind of lumped it in even though i was a huge fan of star wars which is probably why i was drawn to this movie as well as a kid but it it doesn't really I don't feel like it's trying to be what Star Wars was like it doesn't feel no. like it's trying to mimic that story in any way so I think he did a good job of avoiding some of that it's a, it's a very good job of avoiding the, the same I mean there's no dark overlord there's, there's right, no Darth right. Vader there's no I mean they they have the opposition which we won't call the Empire you know they no, were the ones yeah. the the Codan Armada you know mm-hmm. it's just a, and then as far as Alex Rogan goes, he's no Luke Skywalker. I mean, no. it's a kid from Earth who's playing a video game who's being recruited by, you know, this the guy named Centauri that created the video mm-hmm. game to try and find starfighters to come help in the battle. Mm-hmm. So it's not nowhere near like the Star Wars story. I mean, just because you have something that's sci-fi and made in space. Right. Yeah, right. I mean, if that's the case, you may as well say that Star Wars is nothing but Star Trek. Right. Yeah. In, yeah. In, in a different galaxy, which is, and, and those are even different the way they're, those are said. So yeah. they're not even, they're not even the same. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard some comparisons that say that Star Trek is really more, it really falls more into sci-fi and Star Wars is more like space fantasy. Like it's not, doesn't right. get into like the, the, the science fiction type storylines like uh, Star Trek did. It right. was more the fantasy you know, myth- a mythology type of uh, type of storytelling. Right. And what you mentioned a moment ago about uh, the person who came up with the idea, uh, mm-hmm. basing, basing it off like a book about King Arthur, and you mentioned mm-hmm. the sword and the stone. Yeah. That's where the uh, reference to the Excalibur test came into play, that they were accusing yeah. Centauri of doing when he brought yeah. Alex Rogan in. Yeah, yeah. I, I, thought that that, I, thought, I thought that was cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, so that's really all I have as far as like pre-production and you know how the how the movie kind of came to be. Anything that you can add that you can remember from your conversations? Uh, they just talked about uh, Nick Castle and the mm-hmm. way he you know the way he did things, and they they said that it was such a great way he brought it all together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had brought up the possibility of the sequel that you hear talked about sometimes, and right. would they ever truly consider it? And they said that if it was the original. You know, person in Nick Castle, which it was that's mm-hmm. chopping it around, then right. they would consider it. So they they have been considering you know being a part of it. Of course, if I I don't think they would do it without bringing them in as at, at some point for something. You had to have those two characters at the very least. Yeah, yeah. But I, they just mentioned mostly his style of you know of what he does mm-hmm. and how great he was at it and how much they liked him and everything and. 
they talked about the CGI being on the forefront of the CGI bit and mm-hmm. uh, kind of like I said earlier, one of the innovators with all that and being some of the first to, to put it out there. Uh, it's, that's mainly what they talked about with it. And then yeah. I don't I don't think we talked about with them about like budget or uh, yeah, yeah. or what it made. We talked about it not being super successful at the movie theaters, but finding its own audience mm-hmm. when, once it hit VHS, which a lot yeah, of movies yeah. do from yeah. back then. You know, they they were good ideas that fans loved, mm-hmm. but maybe they couldn't afford to go to the movies or maybe yeah, they just yeah. didn't go to the movies or something. Well, you know, we we've talked about this in some of the other other episodes of like movies that I remember like to me were really great movies that were not big box office movies, but did really well on video and going back and watching them. It's like, you know what? I can see why this worked better kind of on home video than the the movie theater. And not that it's a lesser of a movie by any stretch of the imagination, but just for what the audience was able to take in, it might've just the, it, it was, it felt more natural or it felt more genuine coming from TV, that size screen than uh, the the big movie theater. And of course there's going to be those comparisons. Cause I mean, you, you put this up and we just did return of the Jedi not too long ago. And that was 83. This comes out a year later and there's, there's a huge difference in the level of budget for one, which of course affects, you know, the effect, the special effects and those kind of things. So it's hard to kind of put those two movies and say like, which one would you rather see on the big screen? I think I would probably want to see Return of the Jedi on the big screen. Now, of course, I because I love Last Starfighter, I want to see it on the big screen. But you think about an average moviegoer back in 83 or 84, they're probably going to spend their money to see Return of the Jedi more so than Last Starfighter. But once they watch it on video at home, they're going to love it probably just as much as they do Return of the Jedi. That's, that's my thinking anyway. I think you're right. And like I said, some movies just took off in a life of their own when they yeah. Hit the oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, not I mean, just this one. Plenty yeah. of plenty of others. Oh yeah, the same effects. Yeah. yeah, we've talked about plenty. You know, um, the Monster Squad, Three Amigos, The Last Dragon. I mean, there's you know the, the the list goes on and on. But uh, but great movies that we still enjoy now, and we're still talking about. You know, forty years later, it obviously had impact, and so this one this one does for sure. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's jump into casting. Uh, of course, we'll talk about the two people you've got to have conversations with. Uh, but before we jump into them individually, I, I saw this little note said, one of the main reasons why the audience connected with the movie so well is due to the on-screen chemistry between Alex and Maggie, played by Lance Guest and Catherine Mary Stewart. The casting team seemed to have noticed this right off the bat. According to Stewart, the two clicked right away. She said, during the callbacks, we were paired together. I think we had great chemistry. They were up against some of the hot young actors in Hollywood of the day, including Ali Sheedy, Jennifer Jason Lee, and even Eric Stoltz. Boy, that Eric Stoltz couldn't get a he couldn't get a lead role, could he? Just you he know. couldn't catch a break, could he? He couldn't. I mean, he just couldn't. Last Starfighter, Back to the Future. The future yeah, eighty three, eighty four, or eighty four, eighty five wasn't weren't good years for him. So uh, Stewart had to audition for the role while working on Days of Our Lives, whereas Guest had been working on Halloween Two, which had a connection to Starfighter through John Carpenter. Nick Castle, the director of Starfighter, played Michael Myers in the original Halloween movie. So it still fits in ours. We're getting into the spooky season. So it all, it all works together. <laughs> very true. Very true. All right. So let's talk about Lance Guest as Alex Rogan. 
Uh, of course, he has starred in many theatrical films, including his role as Jimmy, alongside actress Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween 2, as we just mentioned in 1981. He was also in Neil Simon's Ought to Be in Pictures. He also starred in Jaws the Revenge in 87 as Michael Brody. I remember him being in that. Right. Uh, his starring television roles included Lou Grant from 81 to 82 and Knott's Landing. He had guest starred on St. Elsewhere, The Wonder Years, Party of Five. He was on an episode of JAG, NYPD Blue, The X-Files, Life Goes On, House, and Jericho. He's also starred on Broadway as Johnny Cash in the musical Million Dollar Quartet, a fictionalized depiction of the only time Carl Perkins, Jerry Lee Lewis, Johnny Cash, and Elvis Presley ever recorded music as a group. I thought it was pretty cool. Don't think of him as a Broadway actor, but I, I would love to have seen that show. That would have been pretty cool. It would. So uh, anything to add about Lance? Uh, before we jump into Catherine, that you want to bring up? I, nothing I can think of off the top of my head. I mean, the only things I ever really watched him in that I remembered completely was Halloween and Jaws mm-hmm. the Revenge. Uh, if he, you know, television appearances, I, I might not have seen those episodes. All I'm, I'm sure I've seen. Yeah. Well, I, I can't even say I've seen Jag, but I've watched almost every episode of Jag that there was, but I did mm-hmm. a couple of seasons because when I was watching it, uh, CBS Paramount. For some reason, did not have complete seasons for a few of them, so I, I did miss some episodes. I may have missed right. a minute, but I mean, it's it's it, he he definitely stayed busy for a while, whether it mm-hmm. be on stage or on television or on the big right. screen. Right. I, I don't think Jaws four it gets made fun of so bad by so oh, many yeah. people. Uh, I don't know if he had anything really bad to say about Jaws four. I don't think I brought that up to him. <laughs> Because we were right. strictly talking last Starfighter, really. Oh yeah. But yeah. I, I've heard other people say that you know they've talked bad about Jaws four, and that Michael Caine didn't even talk good about it. He said mm-hmm. it just, it he said it just bought him a house. Is all he exactly, said. exactly. Yeah, it was interesting because I think that from the last Starfighter, I expected him to be a bigger star than he kind of became, and he still worked. Like you said, he's worked steadily through the years. But I thought he did a really good job as Alex, and even you know the. Playing the dual roles as Alex and Beta Alex, I thought you know he did really good with those those scenes as well. But uh, yeah, but yeah. All right, so moving on to Catherine Mary Stewart as Maggie Gordon. In 1980, she landed a role in The Apple, a music science fiction cult film, which I know y'all talked about on the episode. Uh, if you've followed the Golden Globus story, that's pretty that's a pretty big part of that of the uh, the canon films and uh, Golden and Globus. But during the production of The Apple, the director, Golan, took issue with her original name, Mary Nursall, and insisted she change it, which she did using her mother's maiden name. After moving to L.A., she landed a role on the soap opera Days of Our Lives, playing the original Kayla Brady from January of 82 to December of 83. She also auditioned for projects like Death of a Centerfold, the Dorothy Stratton story against Jamie Lee Curtis, in 1984, she starred in two science fiction feature films, The, the Last Starfighter, of course, and Night of the Comet, which if you haven't seen that, it's excellent. Uh, I watched that for the first time last year and uh, I did too. really enjoyed it. Yeah, <laughs> just, yeah, just yeah. last year, actually. Right, right. Uh, she later played a leading role in the teen comedy Mischief, and in 1989, she appeared in the hit comedy film Weekend at Bernie's. So uh, she's done really well. In the mid-80s, she appeared in two miniseries, Hollywood Wives in 85, and Sins in 86, where she played the younger version of Joan Collins's character. She also made guest appearances on TV series such as Knight Rider, Hotel, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, and The Outer Limits. But 
but she stayed, you know, she stayed very busy. She's still working even now and has yes. been in some things. And I think she's been producing and directing some stuff too, I think. I think she's trying her hand in a little bit. She had some, um, I don't know if it was a Lifetime movie or yeah, if yeah. it was um, Hallmark or what's, well, it's like one of those two, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, she was, because she had told us she couldn't talk a lot about it, just that it was coming out. Mm-hmm. And I kind of saw it advertised not too long after that. Gotcha. Um, she also had a bit part in, I think it was Cobra. I want to say, was it Cobra? It was a, one of them action type movies with Stallone in, I believe. And I want, I want to say it was Cobra. She was a girl behind. No, yeah, Nighthawks. I'll take it back. It wasn't Cobra. It was Nighthawks. Nighthawks. Yes. Nighthawks. Yep. Because Rucker yep. Hauer was in it. Rucker Hauer, yes. she said, really creeped her out a little bit. Cause he's kind of like a method-like <laughs> actor, and he was always yeah. in character and such. Yeah. And um, I think that was his first like American movie, or like one of his first American movies. So he wasn't, you know, people didn't really know much about him, and he was kind of method. So yeah, yeah. I and I think she was going to go audition for Highlander with Christopher Lambert, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it didn't work out because she didn't have. Something about her dues paid up or something for. Oh yeah, I remember that for the with the with the guild or one yeah. of the acting. You know, I don't know if it was the union or if it was something else. I I remember her talking about that one. Now that you mentioned, yeah. it. yeah, yeah. So that that she said that was a bummer. She she would have loved to work with. She referred to him as Christopher Lambert. I don't know if it's right. Lambert or Lambert. I've always it said is, Lambert. I've always said Lambert, but I think it is Lambert because of his. Uh, Yes, I, I don't even I don't even call him that. I always call him Connor McLeod of the Clan McLeod. <laughs> there you go, there you go. All right, well let's uh, move right along. We'll, of course, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk more about the two as we go. Then, of course, Robert Preston as Centauri. He was best known for his collaboration with composer Meredith Wilson and originating the role of Professor Harold Hill in the 1957 musical The Music Man in the 1962 film adaptation. The film earned him his first two Golden Globe nominations. He collaborated twice with filmmaker Blake Edwards, first in SOB in 81 and again in Victor Victoria in 82. For portraying Carol Toddy Todd in the latter, he was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor at the 55th Academy Awards. When Butel suggested casting Robert Preston as Centauri, the agreement was unanimous. Castle has referred to The Last Starfighter as a musical without any music, which was perfect for the fast-talking Preston. In fact, after Butel came up with the idea of casting Robert Preston, the script was rewritten with his music man character, Professor Harold Hill, in mind. Which, have, have you ever seen, you've seen the music man before? I have not, no. Oh, my goodness. That, so, funny story, I'll never get to cover it because it's not an 80s movie, but way back, like when I was a kid in the 80s, when the only way you could see those type of musicals was like on PBS, like PBS, when they were doing their fundraising things, they would, they would play like those old grand movie musicals because there wasn't, they weren't playing them on cable. They didn't come on regular TV. So I don't know how we stumbled upon it that one time, but I think that's the very first like music movie musical I ever saw. I just, and I, it was so good. I mean, it has little Ron Howard, Ronnie Howard from, you know, Andy Griffith, and when he was still like Andy Griffith, like little Ronnie Howard, he's in it. Go ahead. Little Opie, uh, I said uh, Little Opie Cunningham. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. And then um, Mrs. Partridge, I can't think of her name right now, but she's she's in it as well. And then Robert Preston, but I was so impressed with him. He's just a, it's just a great movie. It's a great musical, 
And uh, so when I saw him, and the, another reason why I probably loved this movie was because I'd already seen The Music Man and loved the, the, the character of Professor Harold Hill. So then to see him at Centauri, and after reading that, I'm like, I can see why that connection was made. Like even watching it again today, it's like he is so much kind of still playing that character because if you don't know the musical, he's kind of like a con man. He goes into like a little town and tries, he's the music man. He's basically trying to take money to create this band in the town, but doesn't really know how to read music or write music or be a conductor. So he's just, a, he's like a fast talking con man. So even in Centauri and some of that, like, you know, did you get paid? Did you get your money? You know, all that kind of stuff where it's like, He's not totally a con man, but you can tell he's only in it for his own, you know, his own self uh, interest. Yeah. But he does still have some great words of wisdom uh, in the movie as well. They talked very highly of him. Um, yeah. And, uh, Dan o- o- oh, Harley. Uh, Her- Her- yeah, Harley. Her- Her- oh, I don't know how you say his name. Yeah, he's next on the list. Oh, Herlihy or Hellerhy. Anyway, they, they <laughs> talked very highly of both of them, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I can see le- that. Learning things from them and all the great things they had both done mm-hmm. before doing the last Starfighter. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I I didn't know anything about the two previously before mm-hmm. this, so they were unknown to me. Uh, I haven't watched anything else that I know of that they're in that I've noticed at least anyway. Yeah. Well, all right, we'll talk about Dan or Hurley as Grig with his distinguished appearance and rich resonant speaking voice, which his speaking voice, of course, is what I remember him most for. His best-known roles included his Oscar-nominated portrayal of the lead character in Robinson Crusoe in 1954. He also went on to appear in other well-known feature films such as Failsafe in 64, Waterloo in 70. He was in Halloween 3, The Season of the Witch in 82, and he was also in RoboCop and its 1990 sequel, as well as the television series Twin Peaks. But he's under that makeup. You'd have no idea what he really looks like. So right. it's like I wouldn't know. I would, have, I would only know him by his voice, probably. Well, I have seen RoboCop, obviously. So right, I guess right. I have seen something with him in it. He played the, was it the old man, I think is. Yeah, is that what, was it, yeah. That, that, that's what it, I'm looking at now. The yeah. character old man. The old man. I don't know if he's the, I'll buy that for a dollar, old man, if that's the old man they're talking about. But anyway. It just simply says the old man yeah, is I didn't, Daniel. I didn't dig too deep, but but yeah. But he was great. And that, you know, Grig was such a great character in the movie too. Like another, you know, kind of guide or mentor to Alex and and helping him develop and become, you know, the great starfighter that we knew he was going to be. Right, moving right along, we'll talk about Barbara Basson as Alex's mom, Jane Rogan. Hey, uh, before we, before I'm sorry to cut you off. Before, no, you're you, okay. too, before you go any further, would you like to know something kind of cool about uh, Dan O'Hillary or Hillary? Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, Dan. Dan. Yeah, about Dan. Um, Michael Druxman, a close friend, said he was famed for his sense of humor mm-hmm. and was. He recalled him one time wearing his lizard costume while driving home from the studio after filming his role in Last Starfighter. <laughs> oh man, that'd be awesome! Can you imagine driving on the road? You look over, <laughs> like what in the world? And had V come out by that point? Because that would really freak it out. V was you know was on oh, TV yeah. at that time. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure V'd been out by that point. Wasn't V 1982 or 83? I can't remember if that was that. I know it was like it was around mid '80s. I don't remember if it was that early '80s, but yeah, 
Yeah, and then you know, whenever any the, the interactions between Alex and Grig, I think about Enemy Mine, of course, the another great movie from the eighties. We haven't covered yet, so yeah. um, but we'll get there. All right, ready to move on? Absolutely. All right, cool. Barbara Basson as Alex's mom, Jane Rogan. She was best known for her role in the 1980s NBC TV series Hill Street Blues as Faye Furlio during the season's first six seasons. She later went on to play the tough prosecutor in Murder One from 95 to 97, which earned her an additional Emmy Award nomination. She made guest appearances on many series, including Mannix, Crazy Like a Fox, L.A. Law, Star Trek, Deep Space Nine, and Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. In 1970, she married writer-producer Stephen Bochco. If you're an 80s kid, you remember that name, because he created several of the series in which she starred, including Hill Street Blues, L.A. Law, Murder One, and Cop Rock. The couple had two children before divorcing in 1997. Do you remember Cop Rock? Barely. Barely. I remember Barely. watching she the was... first. Yeah, I remember watching the very first episode and going, "What in the world <laughs> am I watching?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she was in uh, Hooperman also. If you ever seen Hooperman, I don't know if I've seen that. It's a movie the, or a TV show. It's a TV series with John Ritter. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, I remember that. I don't think I. I mean, I I remember watching it. I don't remember much about the movie about about the TV show, but I do remember that. That's ringing yes, a bell. She was a police captain in that movie. Yeah. I could see her playing that role, like those, those cop, you know, cop and attorney type of roles. So, all right, we're not going to cover everybody. As I said, there was a lot of people that were in the cast that didn't really have much in their filmography or didn't go on to do other things. But I just want to mention a few others here that stood out to me, even though I thought they were in other more than what they were in. But uh, my next one is Vernon Washington as Otis. I don't know why I felt like Otis had been in like a million other movies because as soon as he popped up, it's like, oh man, I love that guy. Uh, he's best known for his roles in this as Otis. Uh, he's also known for the 1985 horror movie Friday the 13th, A New Beginning as George. He was also in the TV series, a miniseries, Roots, The Next Generations in 1979. And he had a recurring role on The Jeffersons as Leroy, which may have been why I remembered him because we I loved watching the reruns of The Jeffersons as a kid. So it might be why I remember him. Yeah. But this was one of his final acting roles before he died on June 7th, 1988. So, And this was also one of the last roles for uh, Robert Preston as well. He passed away in 1987. Uh, then I'm going to bring up a name of someone else that you've had the pleasure of speaking with, and that's Jeffrey Blake, who played Gary. And and, uh, and, he's, and if you don't look and you don't know him as in his youth, you'll miss him for sure. Yeah, because yeah. he doesn't... For a lot of people who know Jeffrey Blake, they know him from like Forrest Gump and mm -hmm. his abusive boyfriend. Or right, right. Uh, he he was in Young Guns, mm -hmm. uh, playing yeah. one of the one of Murphy's men that came over to be a part of the regulators that they felt was a spy. Right. But right. he's the blonde-headed kid in the back of the truck when mm -hmm. he was about to go to Silver Lake at the beginning. Of the yeah. Movie. yeah. Now, do you know who the blonde-headed girl next to him was? Yeah, I looked her up. I had to I had look at. <laughs> yep. It's, it was funny because I had already I had finished all my notes, and when I was rewatching it today, I, I saw her in the back of the truck, and I was like, "She looks so familiar. Why do I not have her on my list?" And she doesn't even have a character name; she is just listed as cheerleader, mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's Suzanne Snyder. And she is—I'll uh, I'll go through her stuff. She played Debbie Stone in the movie Killer Clowns from Outer Space. She was also in some Silver Spoons episodes. 
but you most probably know her most as Deb from Weird Science. She played Anthony Michael Hall's love interest, and uh, in that movie, yep. she so. got some other credits in there too. She was in Night of the Creeps. She was in Return of the Living Dead Part Two. Um, so anyway, but yeah, it's like when I saw her face, I was like, I know that face. Where do I know that face from? And then when I saw Weird Science, I was like that's you know, you know, her and Julie Aronson. Were the two girls in Weird Science? I've tried my best to get both of them to come on the podcast. I've only got <laughs> I've only got a response from Judy Aronson one time. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, this is just before the writer strike happened. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and she was like, you know, uh, she finally responded to the, to one of my requests and said, mm-hmm. the, "Like, thanks so much for, con- for for thinking about me. I've I've got so much going on right now with comic yeah. cons and traveling and such. I just don't know if I'd have time." Uh, usually I only come on when I got things that I'm trying to you know, promote talk, or talk about. So yeah, that's okay though. I, I'm going to keep asking one these days, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna say, is she, does she have her own podcast now or am I no, thinking not that, of nothing I know of? Okay. I'm, I'm thinking that there's somebody else that's done. Is it Daniel Harris? Daniel Harris has her on uh, with uh, Scout. Yeah, that's like her uh, and somebody else that they Scout do. Scout Compton Taylor, I believe, is called Talk Scary to Me. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And then, uh, so we talked about Suzanne Snyder. We talked about Jeffrey Blake. And then, if you did not know, which I don't think I ever knew until doing research, but Will Whedon is in this movie, even though all of his speaking lines were deleted. He is visible in two scenes. Early in the movie, he runs around the trailer park in a red football jersey. And in the final scene, he's obscured, but he's wearing a blue jacket, possibly over the red jersey, standing behind Lewis. Oh, we didn't talk about Lewis. I forgot to talk about he was one Lewis. Of Lewis. He was one of Lewis's friends. Yeah. Yeah. How did I skip Lewis? Where did Lewis go? Oh, yeah. Chris Hebert. Herbert. Hebert? I don't know. Uh, Chris Hebert as Lewis Rogan, Alex's little brother. We'll just mention this real quick. His acting career began when he was allowed to audition for a local theater production of A Midsummer Night's Dream for one of the parts of The Fairies. His mother apparently was reluctant to re- but relented after his persistence. She had thought that he would, got, he would not get picked for the part and that his experience would get the acting bug out of his system. But he got the part, and through that summer production, he made connections to a professional agent who got him some work in commercials and TV before the summer even ended. He continued to work pretty busily for the next five years. His most memorable role came with his feature film debut, of course, The Last Starfighter. His other feature films include The Check is in the Mail from 86. Uh, He was in Invaders from Mars in 86. I remember seeing that one. The Night Before in 88 with Keanu Reeves and Mortuary Academy in 1988 as well. He did numerous TV appearances, uh, most notably on Family Ties, The Twilight Zone, and Fuzz Bucket, a 1986 Disney TV movie. He was definitely a kid that I like. He seemed familiar back then when I saw him. So it's probably from like Family Ties or something else. I, some of the t- probably some of the TV appearances that I recognized him from the movie. I lost track for a second. Are you talking about Will Wheaton or the brother? No, the brother. The brother. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'd, I'd never seen him in anything else other than the Last Starfighter that I can remember. If I had, it's such a small role that it wasn't. Yeah, stand out yeah. to me or anything. No, I didn't go over Will Wheaton's filmography because he's not. I mean, I just want to mention that he's, right, he's, he's actually just in the movie, and his his name is there in the credits. Like as the credits are rolling, I saw his name. I was like, oh wow, he's just like Jeffrey Blake and Susan yeah. Snyder. It's just he's just in it. Mm-hmm. Nothing major to go on. Yeah, exactly. 
All right, well, let's talk about iconic scenes, favorite scenes. When someone mentions the last Starfighter, what's the first scene that pops into your head? Death Blossom. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're, are, they're up there. They're making their run. One Starfighter against the entire Codan Armada. Mm-hmm. And it's just like the video game. He's taking out ships right and left and everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's so many coming in at one time. They got no chance of really winning it realistically. Mm-hmm. Right. But this particular Gunstar, Grig had loaded up with a experimental thing called Death Blossom, mm-hmm. which basically it spins it in multiple different directions and shoots out lasers from every gun and all the missiles and everything. Mm-hmm. And everything that's within range realistically should get hit right. and uh, not overpower the system, causing it to blow up or anything. <laughs> uh, theoretically, of course. I feel, yeah, yeah, exactly. The, that's the first thing that comes to mind is that. And then there's a couple of smaller scenes, but yeah, yeah, that's definitely one of the most memorable scenes for sure. I think the, the, the ship, at, you know, most of it's at the end, but the ship landing at the trailer park is, mm-hmm. is a big scene. Yeah. I think I have more favorite scenes than iconic scenes. I think, I think you, I think you hit the nail on the head with the iconic scene. That's, that's it for sure. Uh, but what's some of your favorite scenes? All favorite scenes would like when Alex comes back and he confronts the beta unit and they're in his mm-hmm. bedroom talking and Lewis is asleep and <laughs> Lewis is looking over. He's like, shut up, Lewis. I'm telling mom about your playboys. Right, right. So he puts his head back down and goes to sleep real quick and mm-hmm. then he leaves to go get sent, call Centauri back and then mm-hmm. beta unit Alex says something mm-hmm. and Lewis looks around and I, and I won't repeat what he said. Right, right. But he says, you know, something along the lines of uh, he, he's surprised basically because mm-hmm. Alex just went out the door, but yet Alex is right here. Mm-hmm. And he looks at him and says, I told you, Lewis, to go back to sleep or I tell mom about your playboys. Right, right. So uh, that was a favorite. Um, the part um, where he doesn't know how to act around <laughs> Catherine Mary Stewart's character, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Maggie, and they're at Silver Lake and they're trying to like, making out and everything. He doesn't know what to say or how to act. Right. Right. That's kind of humorous. and stands out to me too. Yeah. I'd say like the beta unit stuff is probably some of my favorite as far as the comic, you know, it gets a good little, you know, comic lighter stuff with the movie, which we'll talk about how they added that later after some test audiences, but anything with Robert Preston, I love, like I love when he first, you know, meets him and he's telling about that. He, he created the, uh, the the video game and then all of his scenes are so good even when he's you know working on the car and uh when he brings alex back and <laughs> i don't know why that seems so funny to me but he's like okay Centauri, i'll see you later and all he does just kicks his leg out from underneath the car like he's waving <laughs> with his foot like, right that always makes me laugh it's like that's that's like a very robert preston thing to do i guess but um, did you notice after he beats the starfighter game the first time He's walking, I guess, outside. He he got the news that he didn't get the loan he wanted to go to school right, somewhere. Right. And he's out there. All of a sudden, you hear the game kind of kicking in a little bit. Greeting mm-hmm. Starfighter. Right. Greeting Starfighter and stuff like that. As you as you, if you pay attention in the background in the sky, you see what looks like a shooting star going down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, the word on that was is that it wasn't really a shooting star. It was Centauri right coming down in the in the in the, in the star car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had seen that. Yeah, which makes sense because later when when Beta Alex takes his head off and puts it on the desk and he's trying to fix the thing in his ear and then he sees looks at he you know he turns his head around on the desk and he sees 
kind of a similar looks like a shooting star and then it moves a certain way he's like oh right. no and then the, the the scene of him moving his you know like shaking his head back and forth his hand finger on the hand on his nose it's right. it's so fake but it's just so it's like such a funny little nod there but uh yeah all the beta alex stuff is was really fun i like when alex first gets there and like that whole fish out of water part of the story where they're speaking a different language and then all of a sudden he can understand them and then him trying to figure things out as they're you know he's going through and get all his gear and trying to figure out what's going on like all that was really is really fun so it where, just, it, where they're breaking into centauri he doesn't want to be a starfighter yeah and he's like you know what, what danger what could possibly go wrong <laughs> and then all of a sudden you see the Zor come on there, yeah, the hologram of his head, right? So they found the spy and they're yeah. killing the spy in front of everybody, <laughs> right? He's like, you know, you sure you don't want to say, <laughs> right? Right, right. I will say, like, the and you know, we're talking, we, we love this movie a lot, but the weakest parts is the villains. Like, I feel like all of the scenes of the, of the villains just feel so less than everything else. Like, that's where I, I get that. Battlestar Galactica, Buck Rogers type of villain, you know, or even like TV version Star Trek kind of villains. Like it doesn't, the villains don't think we're really fleshed out enough to be a real, feel like they're a real threat. Yeah, they didn't feel like a threat. Yeah. Uh, when you're seeing the one gun star shoot the big Kodan ship a couple of times and mm-hmm. the the stations in front of them kind of blow up a little bit, but not mm-hmm. much. And next thing you know, these things are, dead right in front of you mm-hmm. over oh, you know. <laughs> uh, and of course the the one gun star being able to tear up the entire ship to the point to where it can't move or anything and it's got mm-hmm. no systems and they're being pulled in by the moon's gravitational pull and mm-hmm. one, one of the lines of the movie that stands yes. out to a lot of yes. people is like it's like Captain, it's, it's pulling us into the moon's gravitational pool. What do we do? And he just looks at him, and the little glass, little light piece comes across his eye, yeah. and he goes, "We, we die. die." Yeah, that was, I was gonna bring that up. I was like, "That's I," like I said it with the movie today when we were watching. I was like, "That's I mean, I embedded in my brain uh, for sure." Any other favorite lines that you have? I know you had one from uh, Centauri. You want to make sure we talk, we talked about. Oh, it's. Uh, I was going to say you, you you have to end your show when you do <laughs> by giving the 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 line to all the Starfighter fans mm-hmm. of "May the luck of the seven pillars of Gulu be with you at all times." There it is. You've said it for me. <laughs> I don't know who Gulu is. Hopefully, this is a good person. Right. You know, they right. had a lot of uh, a lot of luck to fall back on, but. Uh, <laughs> Tari says it's so, it's so. Uh, when we talked to both uh, Stuart and Guest about uh, The Last Starfighter and the possibility of a, of a sequel, mm-hmm. I, I, I asked them, you know, would they would, would they rather have a sequel or would you rather it be something popular these days like a Netflix series or maybe on Amazon or Hulu where they create this whole new series and they call it... Um, they can just call it Starfighter, or they can call it uh, right, like right. they can call it Rylos, which was the name of the the planet they were saving. You know, whatever they wanted to do, they they could make something out of it. And I I don't know if they've actually thought of it before. They it kind of felt to me like they were a little bit surprised by the thought and was like, hey, you know, yeah, or, or why not both? <laughs> why not do the sequel and let it lead into? A series. I'm like, well, that would be awesome. You know, Star Starfighter fans would love it. You guys would love it. More work coming in for you. 
Mm-hmm. I, well, what do you think about that, making a series based off the Starfighter? I mean, I think it all comes down to writing. If you have a good writer and a good story, then I think it works. I mean, you think about Cobra Kai, you know, that worked as a series. It's gone on for, I think, around what, season five is about to come out now. So um, some work and some don't. You know, you've had other ones that they try to do, like Willow, which didn't do as well. And, um, and I, I don't understand it. I, I liked the Willow thing they came out with. Yeah. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, the, the the main one that didn't do so well, I think, was Fuller House. No one took to it. No, it was pretty big. It, Did it? Yeah. Because it, it, it stopped so abruptly, it seemed like. I just, I just figured nobody was into it. No, it, they did like four seasons. Well, I would say this. The first season was huge. I think it lost some of its – it lost a little bit after like the, the second – I mean, it really only needed to be like a one-season show. It didn't need to go as I, far as it did. I, I had no idea it went four seasons. Yeah. I really yeah, didn't yeah, know that. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I think, once again, if the story is there – because this, I mean, even watching it now, and it's a sh- not a very long movie. What an hour? It's not even a full hour and forty-five minutes. I don't think it's like an hour no, and thirty-seven, yeah. something like that. I felt like they're even watching it again today. I was like, there's so much more story that you kind of need to kind of beef it up. I mean, it's still fun, but like you said, there's not enough development of the bad guys. There's not enough history. Like he doesn't learn anything. Like why are we fighting these people? Why, you know, I know they're threatening us, but what is you know why is it that they want to destroy? the universe, you know, that there, none of those questions are getting answered. It's kind of like moving from, you know, moment to moment. So to have them, a, a sh- to have a show that could kind of flesh some of that stuff out, I think would be good and just more character development. But yeah, I think it would work. I think they could do something where it's not a remake. Well, of course it wouldn't be a remake. It would be carrying on, but like uh, Captain Mary Stewart had said, they could have it on there where like they've got kids and possibly even grandkids at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, there and that you know maybe their their kid is the next starfighter you could even call it the next starfighter not just starfighter just right it references right. the last starfighter now you've got the next starfighter and there's a new threat coming in that threatens rilo say to defend themselves against and you could build off of that for a few seasons for sure you'd take the entire first season introducing the characters and introducing the new threat and kind of building it a little bit and then follow from there into some action starting in some real action starting in mm-hmm. the second season. And mm-hmm. it wouldn't be but like anything from six to eight episodes a season. Oh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. That's about what they do. Yeah, that's thing. You don't want to drag it out too much. Then it just becomes, you know, then, then it's not worth watching, you know. So, yeah, it's like, anyway, I'll get it. We won't, won't get into other uh, shows. And now these messages. What's up, dudes? I'm Jerry D of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. Toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, he's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas? Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooge, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas Special. Plus classics shown every year. You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever, like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Cabbage Patch Kids. Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap Hap Happiest Memory, Gag Me With The Spoon, The Other Half of the Battle, and Chant With The Littles. So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories. 
Later, dudes. All right, well, let's talk about some scenes and trivia and may make us think of some other scenes. Uh, the star car that Centauri drives is based on a DeLorean, of course, including its gold wing doors and its stainless steel construction, which I picked up on that immediately, um, even though it came out a year before Back to the Future. So maybe uh, Zemeckis saw this and said, hey, maybe we should get a DeLorean for our time machine. Absolutely. <laughs> Trendsetter is what it was. It was a trendsetter. Exactly, exactly. Uh, I did think this was cool. The characters of Alex and Maggie were originally named Skip and Penny. Skip and Penny, which Nick Castle changed because it was too cartoony, too cheesy, actually. Alex was later named after writer Butel's son, and his brother Lewis was named after Castle's son. Castle also later revealed that producer Gary Adelson's wife, who has a small part as the first Rylan Alex sees at Starfighter Command was named Maggie, which is likely where Catherine Mary Stewart's character got her name. So all the names came from people they knew. But yes, yeah, Skip and Penny, that would not have. No, it, it, needed, it, to be, it, it needed to be it, set in the 50s if it was Skip and Penny. It sounds too much like Chip and Buffy. <laughs> you know, I, I'll be thinking it's somebody from the country club, not the trailer park. Right, right, right. So we talked, we kind of mentioned this earlier, but the, a great number of the scenes with the beta unit were shot after the main filming was complete because the test audiences liked the comic relief of the beta unit scenes and director Nick Castle decided they added more originality to the quote unquote boy gets to go to outer space story. This is why many of beta unit scenes, Lance Guest is wearing a really bad wig because he had his hair cut for the, before the new scenes were shot. Yeah, the wig, especially in the back of the truck, is like really bad. That's what I got as far as like trivia. Anything else that you wanted to bring up? I know there was well, a lot of other stuff in there. The movie was shot in 40 days. Yeah, it's pretty it, short. It, it was not a, didn't take a long time on them. And one of the things that I noticed that I wished had happened and taken place, and I'm, I'm a little bit upset that it didn't take place, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, Galoob created prototype yes. action figures for the movie. Yes. Yep, but they, yep. they never produced them because the mm-hmm. retailers didn't believe the movie would be successful. Did you see which figures were included? I did. Uh, Alex of the Trailer Park and Starfighter outfits. Mm-hmm. Maggie, Centauri, Grig, Zur, Krill, a Kodan, the Tentacled Starfighter, and two Zandozans and Enderon. They were planned to be released in two figure packs, yep. which I thought was pretty cool. That would have been cool. To have a two, two packs, dude. If they went back and made them now, I'd go buy them. Yeah, I'm sure I, I, a, I, I would at least buy the two Alex. If it was a two pack yeah. of, of Trailer Park and Starfighter, right? I would buy that a Maggie, a Centauri, a Grig, mm-hmm. yeah, and maybe uh, some of you know, like a Zandazan or something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, yeah. I now, agree. but did uh, they didn't have anything set though for any like, like the Starship? I, I'd like to see the you know the. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The gun star done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would have been cool. I always wondered if they, you know, find a model. You know, I did some did some models. Uh, you know, put models together when I was a, a couple of years after that. I had a Batmobile model that I had for a long time and a Stingray Corvette Stingray that I did. I'd um, be willing to bet you if you look out there, you would find somebody with the age of three D printing that we have. Oh that yeah, can, that could do a gun star. Oh, for sure. That would be cool. Yep, add it to my collection that's slowly building. Well, I I'll have to ask you about that here soon. I'll see what all you got because I'm sure you oh. outdo. I'm, I'm sure you got you outdo me at this point. I mean, <laughs> I have not. Bought I really don't a have lot. much. I haven't either. 
there's there's a ton I would love to have. Yeah, there's there's way more stuff that I want than what I have. I'll put it that way. So. Yeah, the worry of our lives. <laughs> All right, so box office and critical reception. The last Starfighter was released in American theaters on July thirteenth, nineteen eighty four. It actually debuted at number three at the box office ahead of the only other new release that week, The Muppets Take Manhattan. It beat The Muppets at the box office. Sorry, Mo. Yeah, it wasn't strong. <laughs> yeah, you know, it wasn't strong enough to remove Ghostbusters or Gremlins from the top two spots. So that's some tough competition there. Yes, very much. Uh, but Rotten Tomatoes has it at 76% on the tomato meter and a 70% audience score. And then. I don't think I've ever seen IMDb this way. It's a 6.7 out of 10 with viewers and a 67 on Metacritic. So viewers and critics were exactly the same pretty much on IMDb, which is still too low. I, you know, even the seventies is still a little too low. I'll, I'll put this in the low eighties for me. Yeah. The The graphics don't hold up as well. The story has a lot of holes in it that, you know, just for pure entertainment, it's fun. It's a fun watch, but it's very rewatchable. Uh, mainly because of the cast. Uh, I think, you know, Lance Guest, Catherine Mary Stewart, Robert Preston, uh, O'Leary as Grig. I mean, though that though that's the core of the movie to me. And even Lewis for to to a certain extent. That's the core of the movie. And that they're the reasons why I want to rewatch it. It's their chemistry together and and how they played those roles, I think, make it rewatchable. I where agree with you. Where would you grade it in the seventies, eighties? How are we grading? Well, what's the scale? Like a, a one to one hundred kind of deal? Well, I do like like seventy, like well the like Rotten Tomatoes. So out of ten, like what's your number out of ten or number out of a hundred? Oh gosh, to this I mean when I first watched it as younger, it would have been a ten out of ten for me. Right, I, exactly. I loved it. Yeah, looking at it through in a you know my adult eye and everything, looking back at it, mm-hmm. knowing that it was. A part of being one of the innovators of the of the CGI and everything, and how it was all new at the time, and uh, the cast that I really liked, I thought had really good chemistry together and everything. I would still give it an eight out of ten because I it, it's, yeah. it's a movie I thoroughly enjoy yeah. to watch. I I could get off here with you right now and, and, and go and turn <laughs> it on and watch it after just talking about it. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, and and still enjoy it completely. Mm-hmm. So you know, a, a movie like that, I'd always rate high. Yeah. Yeah, I think eight out of ten is pretty pretty solid for me as well. It's that's it's in the rewatchable. It's definitely rewatchable, but it has its flaws that you wish it could be better in some areas. But yeah. it's still a still a great movie to watch. So, all right, man, Chris, well, thanks so much for being a part of this episode. It's always fun to have you on the show. Uh, tell us a little bit about what's going on at Retro Life for You podcast. Uh, we are temporarily uh looking at uh well not looking we've we, we've done it we've gone to two episodes a month instead of doing the weekly release mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and we're just recording everything in one night to go through the month so we got more time to work on some things I, I'm, I'm trying to rework the podcast a little bit uh not really changing formats technically but mm-hmm. you know just trying to figure a few things out of how i want to go forward with it oh yeah, yeah. and um and just going from there, we'll, we'll go back to weekly soon, but the upcoming release we have, and by the time you get this out, it will probably already be out, is uh, American Ninja. We, okay, yeah. We really we really want to talk about that for a while. We got <laughs> putting it off and putting it off. and Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know a lot of people think it's a cheesy movie, super cheesy movie for a ninja movie because it's, you know. Not a true ninja movie, but I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's fun, you know? Speaking of 
Judy Aronson again. Right, uh, right. Yeah, it, it's 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 fun. You know, she, mm-hmm. she's in the movie with Michael Dudikoff, and uh, we really enjoyed it. And so that's the next upcoming episode, and it's been a blast. I mean, I'm not no by no means tired of doing it anyway, and I'm still going to mm-hmm. be going strong for quite a while with it. But uh, uh, eventually, I'll have to get back to the weekly because I've been itching to do a new show, and <laughs> it feels weird not doing it every week when you're used to doing it for a week. Oh yeah, so long, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've I've taken a couple of breaks and it's like it's once you get out, it's it's like you have all these ideas and then trying to get back into the into the flow again. It it takes a minute. So but yeah, we'll definitely check out Retro Life for You. It's a great podcast. I've been on there a few times. Uh, it's always fun to be a guest co-host and chat with uh Chris about uh 70s, 80s, 90s, a little bit in the 2000s every once in a while. So just anything that's considered retro, he's pretty much covered. You know, TV shows, movies, uh, some wrestling. Uh, what else? Have, I mean, really done toys and stuff, have you? I mean, early on, we were going to be everything. Yeah. And uh, someone told me that I really had to niche down on it. So we just yeah. we, we went down to just movies only. And really and truly, that might be one of the things I go a little bit further with is niche down a little bit further here soon but gotcha uh early on we talked about some collectibles and toys we talked about cartoons mm-hmm. uh we talked about uh cars of our uh of the tv and movies in our youth and everything mm-hmm. like widely really you know, like the kit car the general lee the oh yeah yeah band the DeLorean yeah. from back to the future and such mm-hmm. uh, things for our man cave we did one <laughs> casting episode like if we were to redo he-Man, Masters of the Universe, who would we oh, cast okay. as the roles? Gotcha. So, I mean, we just, we, we, we've been all over with some different things. And mm-hmm. Try to bring some of that back again soon, too. Cool. And, of course, you've done plenty of interviews as well, so you definitely want to check those out. Like I said, did uh, Catherine Mary Stewart, uh, Lance Guest. He's had uh, Keith Coogan. He's had Diane Franklin. Uh, Jeffrey Blake. We Jeffrey Blake. Earlier. Yep. So, uh, so uh, go back and, you know, you can just go through all the, the episodes um, he's got, and of course, when he's got his friend Travis on the show, you can uh, expect a lively conversation because Travis is kind of a, a I want to say a fireball because he just, he get, he's a character. He gets very excited and you know when he's excited, but he's, uh, seems to be a great guy. One day I'll get to meet him, I guess. But, uh, but tell him I said hello and uh, we need to have him join us on one of these, one of these days. So uh, he's, he's a, he's a good dude. I can tell. Yeah, he is. He's a great guy. We can definitely do that. We'll get together and do one. We'll do a uh, a carryover to the two shows. Uh, yeah, that'd be cool. You know, to, that we can start one on one episode and yeah, carry over to the next one for the crossover or something. Yeah, you know, crossover. Yeah. Yep, I've done a few of those with Laramie. Those are always fun. So yeah, we can definitely definitely work that out. So yeah. All right, everybody. Well, thanks so much. Be sure to follow, subscribe, rate, and review the show. Not just my show, but also Retro Life for you, so you can support our shows. Uh, both of us. No, I'm with Buy Me a Coffee. You're who are you with now? Well, I have I have a you buy said, me a coffee okay. as well. I've been uh, doing that here lately and putting um, blog articles up about the movies we're doing. Gotcha, gotcha. I've, I've been doing that here lately. Uh, okay. The place I'm at has it where I can incorporate it in automatically. I've just never set it up with. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. So yeah, so support either one of us on buymeacoffee.com. You can buy a T-shirt. We just released. Uh, I just released my fall uh, Halloween design. So I've got some uh, T-shirts that inspired by some horror movies like Camp Crystal Lake, uh, Sleepaway Camp, Gremlins. Uh, still got my T-shirts license. are very cool. Lost Boys. Thank you. I appreciate that. So uh, definitely go check those out uh, at tpublic.com or on our website. 
80sflickflashback.com. We do have a new email address, info at 80sflickflashback.com. So send us a message and tell us what you like about the show. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with someone who loves 80s flicks and follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And I have been beefing up the YouTube page, so go check us out over there as well. All right, Chris, anything to add before we wrap it all the way up? Uh, just It's just been fun talking with you, man, as always. I really appreciate coming on here with you. Anytime yes, you need someone to come on, let me know. I'll have you back again. You know it. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Tim Williams for the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Good night, good people. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.